So go to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 and onward. I love ordination days. Everything I do as a pastor is for this cause today. Now I want everybody to understand what I need to do here right now. I need to do basically two things, okay? Uh, the first thing I need to do is I need to explain to you and everyone listening to me, whether it's online, by video, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So that may come at the cost of you being offended by me, though I'm not going to try to offend you. I'm not, not trying to do that. If it does, it's for your good. I need to teach you what it means to be a disciple of Christ, number one. And then number two, I need to reward and honor those who have done that. Does everybody understand what I need to do? Two things, and you're going to understand how clear those will become as we move on today. So thank you for being here. Open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 and onward. We have Jesus talking his last and final words to us. And he tells the disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Sorry if this, will, if this is blocking you, but I need this in just a moment. But he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so that means Jesus has all the authority. Governments borrow authority temporarily from Jesus and we submit to them for a season. Parents borrow authority from God, we submit to them for a season. A time will come when parents and governments will not exist with authority. Only God and his kingdom will exist with authority. If my mother does not serve Jesus, she can go to hell, I'm going to heaven. Do you understand that? She will not take me from the path of heaven. C.S. Lewis actually wrote a book about some of the greatest hindrances to people going to heaven, and one of them is parents. And the idea is that they actually get to come to heaven from hell and try to talk their loved ones into going back to hell with them. I know it sounds crazy, it's fictitious, but it's meant to show you how wicked and evil everything is, even a mother's love that tries to take you away from God. Jesus said, if you do not hate your mother, brother, children, all of these things, even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. Give me that reference, uh, Ishmael. I'm going to need some help from my audience today. We'll put it up while I share this story with you from C.S. Lewis. It's going to be in the book of Luke, I believe, chapter 16, but he'll give me the exact reference. I want you to understand what C.S. Lewis drew out for us. So the mother comes from hell, and she says to her daughter in heaven, you know what? I think hell's a little bit better. And her daughter's like, why? She's like, well, because we don't have to spend all of our time with Jesus. Down there, we get to do what we want. And then she said, the daughter says to his mother, no, 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 to her mother, no, but we want Jesus. Jesus is everything. And then the mother says, well, what about mothers? Does Jesus have room for mothers up here? And then she says, uh, the daughter says, no, there's, there's only one creator now. Mothers were just temporary. You were just there for a moment to bring me into life, to teach me the ways of God. But now for eternity, we're to just have our heavenly father. That's what we need. Amen. And literally the mother in anger. If he doesn't want mothers up here, then I guess I won't be up here either. What scripture is it? Luke 14, 25. Luke 14, 25. You don't have to follow with us. I'll be going back to Matthew, but please put it up, good sir. The idea is following Christ comes before everything. The greatest lesson I can teach my children, and there is no greater father here than me. There is no greater mother here than my wife. The greatest things I can teach my children is God first. 
first. Come on. Not family first because there's no family without a creator. I didn't make you. I didn't knit you together. But God knits you together in your womb and my wife's womb. I don't put a conscience in your mind. I don't give voice to your personality. I don't give strength to your will. God did that. Serve God. And if I do that, I am their greatest father. I'm their greatest example. And then I can love them and see my children as the blessing that they are. Jesus said this, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, some siblings can say amen right there. Yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Amen. Now I want to ask you a question. If I put up here a question mark and I said, you tell me every single problem you see in the world today. How many would we be able to put up in this circle right here? I mean, we would put so many. We would put racism. We would put murder. We would put injustice. We would put corruption. We would put uh, abuse. We would put all of these things, lying and stealing. We would put false religion, terrorism. We would put all those things in there. Now, if I asked you, what is the solution? What would you say? Well, of course, we better say Jesus. We're in church today, right? But the, the question is, do you really believe it's Jesus? Because here's what Jesus taught you to pray. He taught you to pray this. This is what he taught you to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on this messed up earth as it is in heaven. Now go back please to Matthew 28, 18. How did Jesus, the greatest strategic planner, the greatest leader of all times, tell us how to solve the problems of this world? He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Parental authority belongs to Jesus. Governmental authority belongs to Jesus. Church authority belongs to Jesus. Workforce economic authority belongs to Jesus. Military force authority belongs to Jesus. And now look at what he says. To his 12 disciples, he says, therefore go and make disciples. You 12, you go and make another 12. Go and make disciples of all the nations, yes. baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything. Somebody say everything. everything. Thank you. Everything. I have commanded you. What is everything? Well, I don't have time to list out all of Jesus' commands. There's about 150. But everything is going to include how you live with your family. Right? God's commands are going to come to your family. Can I get an amen? amen. God's commands are going to come to government. The closer a government is to following the ways of God, the more blessed that government will be. For better, for worse, America, as we know her, followed the way of the Bible more than anybody else. Now you may say, well, they had slavery. Yeah, slave owners went to hell, and it was Christians who died in the Civil War to set them free while Africa still has slaves. Come on. Come on. Oh, well, they took over our land, the Mexican land. They took over this land. Okay, you want to be under the Aztecs and Incas? Celebrate that next Indigenous Day and watch how they butchered their own people and ate them alive. Come 
mind. Don't tell me about the American sins of our culture without you putting a magnifying glass on yours. Now, I don't care about, about this in one sense because my family wasn't here for any of it. We're Italian and Polish, came here about 75 years ago, so we never owned Kunta Kinte, never lived in the South and fought for civil rights. Are you listening to me? But I'm just here to tell you the only reason why God blessed America is here and why Europe can have social experiments with their 10 million sized countries is because we went over there and blew stuff up. Come on. And the reason why you're not wearing a swastika or a Japanese flag is because we sent them to their maker. Come on. So if you don't like it, go back and do whatever you got to do. But here we got to stand up for us and get us closest to the Bible. Yes. Now you may say there's a lot of stuff we do wrong. That's right. But let me tell you something. There's a lot we've done right and we can build upon that right. Come on. Yes. We can build upon Woo! that. Because in God, we trust. Yes. We put the Bible in our courtrooms. Now, they don't always mean it, but they put it there. The president has to swear upon it, and Ten Commandments used to be in our, in our courtrooms. Now, you ask yourself, after the last 50 years, when they've taken out our Ten Commandments, they don't let us pray, and now they're telling our military chaplains that we've got to call he, she's by whatever they wake up in the morning feeling that they are. You tell me if this is a better place than it was 50 years ago. Even in the black community, while they were facing the civil rights movement, had a stronger family than they do today. Come on, yes. Martin Luther King Jr. would be ashamed of the black community and the drugs and the music and all these things just as much as this preacher is today. So it's not a white or black thing. It's a heaven or hell thing. It's whether or not you want to follow Jesus in everything. That's just, do you want to follow Jesus all the way down the list? All the way down the list. It doesn't matter to me. Call it sin and I'll be right there with you. You call it sin, you tell me where Jesus preached against it and I'm right there with you. So now here's the deal. Where does this come down to you and I? The question is whether or not you are going to be a disciple. Back that verse up, please. Somebody say, back it up. Go right back there. Therefore, go and make disciples. Okay? Well, let's look at how the American church is doing. My doctoral studies are in doctoral, uh, the demon, the doctor of ministry. My master's degree is in Christian education. Let me drop some stats on you right now. They say America right now is between 70 to 80% Christian by census. You ask one out of, uh, you ask 10 people in America right now what they are, seven to eight out of 10 are going to say, I am a Christian, a Roman Catholic Christian, a Protestant Christian. They're gonna tell you they are a Christian by their belief. Seven out of 10 will go to Christmas and Easter this upcoming season. They will be good Christians. George Barna has found out that only 4 to 10% of all Americans actually believe about the first five to six things you have to believe to be a Christian. Mm. To be a Christian, according to the Bible, you must believe the Bible is the only word of God. You cannot believe the Quran or the Book of Mormon or the Bhagavad Gita or whatever Oprah Winfrey has on her book list this year is equivalent to the word of God. Only four out of ten actually believe that. Then you have to believe that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, incarnated, died for our sins, and is the only way to salvation. No self-help program, no other religion. Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. Only four 
to 10% believe that. And then you've got to believe that there is a final judgment day where those who have not bowed the knee to Jesus Christ will suffer eternally in hell. But those who have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ alone, are going to heaven. Somebody say judgment day. So though we have around 80% of people saying, I am a Christian, we only have around 10% of people actually believing the main tenets of the Christian faith. We're not even talking about the horse the four horsemen of the apocalypse or whether or not women can preach or you know which things are you supposed to do for communion we're literally asking them the basic things of the Christian faith do you all believe the Bible do you believe Jesus do you believe there's a judgment day let's just give the benefit of the doubt 10% let's give the benefit of the doubt there's 8 out of 10 of us who are Christians in this nation and let's say 10 are believing the truth what in God's name are the other 70% doing? 80% say they're Christians. Only 10% have a Bible worldview. What in God's name are these 70% doing? Well, maybe they're the reason why we have abortion legal in this country. Why we can kill a million babies a year in our own country and call it a genocide. Or call it a woman's right, but we should call it a genocide. Maybe this is why we don't know how biology works. You notice how the fool loves science until it disproves them. Well, you know, the baby, it's not really a baby. It's a, it's, it's, it's a fetus, and it really doesn't have rights. Well, let me ask you something. Does the eaglet inside of the eagle egg have rights? Oh, yes, it has rights. So why doesn't the human fetus have rights inside the human body. Well, then now they want to redefine what life is. Now they want to read. Is that a scientific answer? No, it's not a scientific answer. Because if we found this much life one week old on the planet Mars, y'all would lose your minds. Come on. Come on. But we have this much life one week after. They'll give you the week after pill and tell us that Hobby Lobby's got to kill, uh, got to pay for that genocide. God have mercy on you, Mrs. And then we'll say, we don't understand sexuality. It's, it's, a matter, it's a matter of science. And then we'll say, show us one scientific data. One, one study that says someone is born gay or lesbian. Show us one scientific data where anything other than a man or a woman comes together and makes a baby. And all their science goes out the window. And all they want to do is act like it's now a right. Come on. Well, yes, you can live however you want. God blessed America allows you to do that. Thank you very much. But I don't have to call it marriage. It's a mirage. Come and on. I don't have to let you Come teach on. it to my children, that disgusting behavior. And here's the deal. Yes. Let me just ask you this, since I'm supposed to be the bigot and the hate monger. Let's just do this real quick. Here's an A or B option. Here's A or B. Let's just talk about transgender real quick. A or B. A... You sense you are not born in the right body. Granted, we A, decapitate, or not decapitate, we disfigure your body. We cut off and remove parts of your body. We pump you full of hormones the rest of your life, which have no experimental data on how it will affect you 30 years from now. Or we help you in your mind find peace with the body you are living in. Come on. I'm the hate monger. I'm the one taking a knife to your genitalia and cutting it off. I'm the one destroying your body with hormones. 
And all you want to say back to me is this, well, this is what I feel. This is what I feel. Oh, we're living by feelings now? Oh, we're living by feelings now? Whatever things come into our head? Is that what we say before judges? Is that what we allow criminals to say? I felt like shooting her. She deserved it. I felt like taking it because it was mine anyways. No, this is just a hot topic, right? We get a little bit deeper into culture. Now we have a generation that doesn't think they need to be married to live together. Well, it's just, you know, old piece of paper and we can have sex and I'm an adult and I'm not hurting anybody. Well, what did God say? What did God say was the best place for our family? Come on. Two dads, three moms? Is that what he said? Or did he say, husband and wife, raise your children what God has joined together? Oh, no one tears were we better off now? We were better off back then in the 50s where they stuck it out in marriage and lived right and talked their children right? Are we better doing now where more children are born without the father in the home, fatherless homes? You ask yourself that question. Come on, come on. All the men that I have to deal with, these young men in this church, all of them that I have to deal with, nine times out of ten coming from a fatherless home, broken, hurt, not knowing themselves. I wonder if we had fathers back in these neighborhoods that could get these guys to start respecting yes, men again. Yes. How quick these gangs would leave these neighborhoods Come and on. break the trend of trying to influence our young adults. Come on. It used to be when you walked into the neighborhood, the children would run to the other side. When they saw the men coming down, now men run from the children. We used to have Bibles in school, and the worst thing the students were doing was chewing their gum and skipping class. We took the Bible out, replaced it with metal detectors. Now we have school shootings and mass homicides all over the place, setting the record now for the church. That happened last week, the largest church shooting. These people are homicidal and maniacs because we've taught them they're animals. They went through the goo, through the zoo to you. We've taught them they're nothing more than one step up from a monkey, and then when they act like they're in the animal kingdom, we get shocked. Come on. When you teach them they're an animal, what do you think they're going to do? You teach them life isn't valuable, what are they going to treat life as? Wickedness, sin. Now ask yourself this question. Am I a part of that 70% who says I'm a Christian, but I'm doing nothing about it? Are you in that number? Come on. Because I want to tell you what it costs me to do what I'm doing right now. Mm. Everybody say self-aware. Self-aware. Some preachers aren't self-aware. For example, they'll preach just the way I did, and they won't understand that people get uncomfortable. I know you're uncomfortable. Some people will say the things that I'm doing, and they won't understand why people don't come back next week. I understand perfectly why people don't come back next week. I'm very self-aware. As a matter of fact, when I talk to people, they're very surprised of how self-aware I am of what they were thinking throughout the message, because I can read body language. I've been doing it for a while. Come on. I'm very self-aware. Let me just tell you the, the little jig pastors can do. Let me just tell you the little jig here. So what Pastor A can do, we'll call him Pastor A, what he can do is he can set up what I was taught in leaderships in, in some of my classes, is he can do what's called the Pareto Principle. And what he's going to do is say, you know what? It's going to be impossible for me to get 80% of a church on my team. I just can't do it. To try to get them all on board, it's going to be a tough sell. But what I can do is I can get 20% of them. Two out of 10, I'll be doing good. So two out of 10, you become disciples. Two out of 10, you read your Bibles. Two out of 10, you do these Christian things, and we'll call it a win. Now, I'm not going to name names as I did in the first service because I don't feel so sassy right now. But if you want to hear me name names, I do it in the first service. So let's take our friend here. 
He's got 20,000 members in his church. My goodness, their campus bigger than a mall. It's so amazing. You should go there for Father's Day, man. They got classic cars there, motorcycles. Their children's center gives Chuck E. Cheese and the, the Six Flags a run for their money. These guys are awesome. But hold on, as I was talking to one in my seminary classes, how many disciples do you have or are you part of the problem of all these knowns floating around in Christianity saying they're a Christian on a census but they're as lost as a goose in a hailstorm when it comes to their proper belief come on he said pastor what do you mean I said tell me your percentage of discipleship and he said our percentage is right around the norm 20 percent 20 percent of, of 20,000, it's 2,000 people. That's a win. we got 2,000 disciples here, Pastor. How many you got? So I'm a church of 250, and I don't settle for less than 80. I flipped the whole Pareto principle around. 90% of you guys are discipleship. I've got 153 by God's grace out of 250, and I mean I as us. You guys get what I'm saying? Amen. But now watch this, amen. But now watch this. Sassy pastor going to come back at me and say, oh, but pastor, you're doing it wrong. You see, because you put so much emphasis on your discipleship, you're turning people off. You're not understanding how it works. We let people volunteer. We let them feel like they belong. One of them that I had met, by the way, when I was fishing in Algonquin, he told me he was an atheist while he was cussing, but he had to go to church that night to help him with the sound ministry. And these kind of churches love it because now they say back, at least he's in church. He's the sound guy. And those of you who have been around other churches, you know what I'm talking about, the bass player. He's got three girlfriends, but at least he came there that week. You know what I'm talking about. The nursery worker, she's a nice woman and all, but she's living with her boyfriend. Don't say anything because she may not help us and we sure need her help. So the problem, Pastor, this is what they say to me. Problem, Pastor, is we know we really only got about 2,000 disciples. We know that, but look at what we got that you don't have. We got this 18,000, baby, still coming to the church. We haven't turned them off. See, you turn them off when you start saying all that stuff. You get them upset. That's why we don't make statements like that. That's why our pastor doesn't come up and talk about sin. Because he knows if he does that, he's going to lose that 80%. He's going to lose for us that 18000 And pastor, what you don't understand is we got, say, a $10 million budget, and 80% of that is $8 million. See, with that $8 million, pastor, and this is what they say sincerely, is we're actually doing stuff in the community. We have a place over here to help with the inner city. We have an adopted agency over here. Look at all that we're doing with that $8 million. Pastor, this is all you have to do. This is it. This is all you got to do. Just settle for this 20. Don't offend the 80. And you can be just like us. So I ran the numbers. So I have 150 disciples. What's that 20% of? That's 20% of 750. So on a good day, if I was doing what they do, the other guys, I would have 500 more people than I do right now. 250 people last year brought in close to 250,000. You times that by uh, three and get me to 750, that means I can make $750,000 as a pastor, minus the 250 we're making now. I have $500,000 on the line right now. Pastor, you could put more people on staff. 
Get out of that old storefront. Be like us. Get a bigger stage. You're a good preacher. People will keep hearing you. Just preach to them the other stuff. Tell them about how to work on their marriages. Tell them how to get along on their jobs. Do the Father's Day stuff. Put the motorcycle in the pulpit, whatever. You know, make, make a play for them. They love plays. A little tear comes down their eye. They'll come back every year for the play. They love the play. So they tell me, you think I'm Woo! talking make-believe. You haven't talked to enough pastors yet. You see this board right here? When I was in seminary, there was a board about the size of our screen right here. I covered an entire board with one of the men that worked at a 20,000-member church arguing and debating with him. I'm not telling you any fibs here. They justify this. This is okay. The reason why it's okay is because the 18,000 pays the bills. Joe, these 500 will do more for you than your 250 right now, and you'll still get the same disciples. You'll still have disciples. And so, Joey, you're, you're boasting, uh, you know, in God, of course, but you're saying, look at all the disciples. Look at all the disciples. Joe, we even got more disciples than you. See, our way blows you up both ways. We've got bigger numbers, bigger budget, and then if you just want to go disciple to disciple, you've got less than us. we got 2,000. So do it this way. Now, my friends, let me ask you a question. Has their way worked? The people coming out of these churches are like infants going to battle against ISIS. We are wondering why we are getting slaughtered in the culture war right now. And it is because we have allowed 80% of our people in the church to be nothing but spiritual, thumb-sucking babies that do not want to grow one inch if it costs them something other than that hour on Sunday. And so today, before I get happy and tell you why I'm wearing my bow tie, <laughs> I want to show you yes. how this works. Don't feel sorry for me. Don't feel sorry for me. The last church I preached at had hundreds. I resigned to preach the tens, and I'm more happier than I've ever been. Yes. Don't feel sorry for me, amen? I'm doing stuff here I've never done my whole life. Please put up the vision of this church. Day one, we said this, day one. March 2005, we will love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and our neighbor as ourselves. I am not talking about legalism here, guys. I'm not talking about you can't play your video games, women can't cut their hair, they have to not wear makeup. I'm not saying that you have to be some extra super saint. I'm just saying the Bible, everything we're supposed to obey is pretty clear and simple. Don't have sex outside of marriage. In marriage, don't have sex outside of with your spouse. Don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat, don't hang with those who do. Honor your father and your mother. Is any of this stuff legalistic to anybody? No. I'm, I'm not talking about anything that isn't so clear in the Bible that if I read it and asked you personally about it, you all would agree with me, especially that 70%. They would say, of course, of course, witchcraft is wrong, Pastor. Of course, witchcraft is wrong. Idolatry is wrong, right? Of course. But the problem is they don't want to live it out in their daily life. Come on. Because when their boss says, I need you to stay till nine or until you finish the project, they know they got that hot date or that thing they gotta do. So they're gonna fudge numbers, get out of doing the assignment. They're gonna lie in some way to get to that thing. They're gonna go to their taxes, borrow somebody's social security number and not call it stealing, call it something else. They're gonna look at pornography 
And they're going to say, well, that's not really that bad because it's, you know, if this one consented, they want, I mean, it's not like I'm, I'm dressing my neighbor naked in front of me at work. This is a woman who wanted to be treated like this, so this is okay. They'll justify why, you know, I don't get drunk every week, just, just every now and then. And, and my, my girlfriend and I, we love each other, so we're different than these kids having sex outside of marriage, Pastor. And when I cuss, I don't mean it like everybody else. When I take the name of the Lord in vain, it's, it's a slip-up. I'm not really a blasphemer. See, discipleship separates the winners from the losers. Discipleship separates the saints from the ain'ts. You either are this or you are not this. Do you guys understand? Now, please keep up the vision because I want to show you this real quick. God told us to come here and raise up 100,000 disciples. How many? 100,000. We'll take Chicagoland and its suburbs at 9 million people. You minus the 100,000, that leaves 8.9 for everybody else. Am I responsible for every other church? I am not responsible for them. I'm not responsible for what the church down the road that you live by preaches. I passed 10 just to get you. I've won the biggest, two biggest, three technically within three miles of my house. Nothing against them. I don't have a problem with them. The devil's my enemy. I'm, I'm going to plunder hell and populate heaven. God will deal with me 8.9. He told us to go get 100,000. That would be the largest church in America. Are you understanding what I'm saying? That would be three times larger than Joe Lowstein. But I want everybody to understand this. These churches exist right now. Bogota, Colombia has 400,000. Brazil has multiple churches of 100,000. Right now in Hyderabad, India, they have multi, uh, two churches, uh, a church of 100,000. In Lagos, Nigeria, has multiple churches of 100,000. And the largest church in the world is Seoul, Korea, with 750,000. And the underground church in China, some pastors are, are responsible for a million people in their home Bible because it's illegal for them to gather. This has already been done by the principle I'm teaching you now, discipleship. Here's our choice now. Do we want to become the 70% or do we want to be like Jesus in the 12? Put up there quickly for me, John chapter 6, verse 66. Turn there with us if you can. And we'll get to the good part in just a moment. Somebody say this is the introduction. This is the introduction. Thank you for coming here today. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Who left him? His disciples. Who left him? His disciples. You know that Jesus probably had upwards of a thousand disciples. At the end of it, only 120 were doing what he said to do. Twelve was his inner core. Are you guys listening to me? But in the book of Acts, there's 120 in the upper room. Twelve men were the inner core, but there was also the other Marys and the women in the Bible who weren't counted with the twelve. So he might have had upwards of a thousand. And by the way, when he fed 5,000, that was just 5,000 men. He had probably at that day 5,000 men, another 5,000 women and children, 20,000. He did that twice, 40,000. So Jesus was having a hard time with the numbers, but for some reason he wasn't getting discouraged because he knew the crowd wasn't the committed. And if he could get the committed to be who he wanted to be, he could get the crowd because on the day of Pentecost, they went 3,000 disciples to the Lord in one day. But they're disciples now. They're not the crowd coming for the free elotes and free pizza. Are you listening? He said from that time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed. Remember we talked about that 70%? They say they're a Christian, but only uh, uh, there's 80% in our country that say they're Christian. 70% are not doing anything about it, really. 10% are. And so the question is, what are we going to do with this 70% right here? What are we going to do with them? Well, they can either turn back on Jesus or they can follow him. And that's why I do what I do. That's what I do. What I do. I made a decision I would be a disciple. Now, you may say to yourself, Pastor, how does this work? 
I'm going to show it to you because this came before Plexus taught you how to get a Lexus, okay? And all y'all doing that stuff in Amway, I'm going to show you who taught them that. Can I show you this? I'm going to show this to you right now, okay? Berto, give me a count of who's in this room, please. He's going to give me the count. And I want you guys to check this out. 100,000 is the goal. Don't feel sorry for me. I'm right on track doing exactly what God wanted me to do. Come on. And so here's what we need to do. We either turn back and leave him or we follow him. Yes. Disciples are made. You are made a disciple by being born again and then spending time with the church of Jesus Christ, building the church that he said he would build and the gates of hell would not prevail. Come on. When you used to go to church back in the day, when our values were different, you would go Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday three times. Here's how our church does it. Sunday morning, get discipled one-on-one, -on -one, and then join a life group still three times. People say they don't have time to read the Bibles because they got their face in Facebook and not their face in his book. Take your face out of Facebook, put it in his book, and you'll see how much time you have. People say, I don't have time to do discipleship. I know that's a lie because I see you on Facebook doing all these other crazy things. You got time for the movies. You got time for the gym. You got time for your second and third business you're trying to start. You got time to do all these other things. It's time you prioritize what God told you to do. Can I get an amen? amen. I'm going to get that number from Berto. 81, thank you. Now I want you to watch this right here. I already did this in the, second, uh, the first service. They had 77 adults. So we basically have 150 youth and adults in here, and we have about 100 children, because we are a children-making church. <laughs> a third of our church is children, sometimes half, I don't know, depends on what day of the week it is. The numbers goes up and down, we got so many. Amen. Now watch this. Well, pastor, I want to be a disciple. How many disciples want to be, how many of you want to be a disciple? Amen. Amen. That's why we're ordaining people here today. Everything I'm doing is for this. I want you guys to understand this for me, please. If you're new with us, understand what we're doing today. We're saying there are people in our church, two of them, who have graduated our process of discipleship so they can make disciples. So Jesus said to his 12, right up here, let's just do it again for everybody in review. Jesus said to these 12, you go make disciples. So it's that simple. These disciples... Go make these disciples. And what are they going to do? They're going to teach them everything. We'll just call that the Bible. How long did that take for Jesus to do it with his 12? Well, it took him about three years if you count his whole ministry. How long does it take in our church? Well, it can take one to five years in our church, depending on whether or not you came here as a previous Christian, how fast it is for you to learn things. And everything we teach is on a sixth grade learning level. Sixth grade learning level. As a matter of fact, people who are learning English learn English as they're reading our books because it's helpful for them. Yes. And it's easy to learn. Sixth grade reading level. Are you listening? Come on. Now let's just say 81 of you say, I'm going to do that. 81 of you now are going to be a disciple. And our job then is to make a disciple next year. Everybody say multiply. multiply. That means... After year one now, there's 81 of you here right now, we come back next year, year anniversary, how many are there going to be here? 162. 162 make a disciple the next year. How many is that going to be? 324. Somebody keep their calculator running with me. We do it the third year. Now we're going to have 600 how many? 648. We do it the fourth year. How many know these numbers are getting bigger now? 
Amen. 1,296. Now watch this right here. Bing, bing, bing. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Oh, we broke a 1,000. Let's get Joe at the conference. Let's get Joe on the view and ask him the question whether or not abortion or homosexuality is a sin. So right now, they're going to pay attention to us. But what they have no idea is this is just the beginning. They haven't even seen anything yet. Come on. See, I could, buy, I could build a 10,000-person nursery or I could make 100,000 disciples and change the world. Come on. What did Jesus tell us to do? The next year, we each make another disciple. How many think you should make a disciple every year you're alive? Do you think that's too much to ask your one life to impact another person's life in 365 days? Is that too much for the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross, rose again from the grave to ask you, sir, ask you, ma'am, to make one disciple with your life every year? Come on. I know you all want to recruit me now for your plexus meeting, but I ain't coming. <laughs> I do Jesus stuff first. Y'all can do plexus, no offense. But they're like, Pastor, if you could just do the same thing with plexus, you'd be a millionaire. You'd be a mi I mean, this is the same thing we tell them, Pastor. You get 12, and then they sell their 12, and then they do beach body. Man, Pastor, you do three businesses on the side. You'll get, you'll get it. <laughs> this is for Jesus. Somebody say, this came first. This came first. Kingdom business first. Everyone wanting to have their own business, that's all. Awesome. I appreciate you. I really do. I'd rather give it to you than the big corporations right now. Come on. But I just want to tell you to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all the other things will be added unto you. Yes, amen. By the seventh year, 10,368. Whoop, there it is. Now we're competing with the big boys. Year eight is how much? 20,736. Now we're maybe setting some records. By the ninth year, we have just become the largest church in America, 41,472. The tenth year, 82,000, this is now set American history, 82,944, never been a church in America that size ever. And by here, the ninth year, 165,000. 888 disciples. Woo! Yes. There you go. Amen. Now some of y'all got to decide what you want to do the next 10 years. Come on. What do you want to do the next 10 years? You want to keep going to the tap dancing preacher? I ain't going to be that one for you. You want to keep going to the one where you can just do Bible studies, volunteer in the nursery, give your used shoes to the, to the flea market. We're selling stuff out in the back parking lot to help our friends wherever they are. No, no, no. We ain't doing that. If we're going to give away stuff, we're going to give away the best. Yes. We're not going to sell anything in our back parking lot because these disciples give, and they don't have to be coaxed to do it. Yes. Are you listening to me? Amen. So what are you going to do? This is your choice now. Look at this. What does it look like for you? It literally will look like Alex and Maria. They did this. They are sitting here today, and they have done this. I don't, I don't need Alex and Maria to give more money to the church. I don't need them to get more time because we need more stuff to do. I don't need them to be that 20% worker bee for Jesus to do everything the 80% are not doing. Right. All Alex and Maria have to do is just take a big old deep breath, 
breathe out a sigh of the grace of God, Whoa. snuggle up in Papa's arms, and just go out and do what he told him to do, making a disciple every year, telling the testimony of Maria, I won't even give it away, but where she's come from, just impacting 10 people's lives in 10 years, she has literally changed the world. Come on. She can do that, or she can buy my book, come to my $500 conference, ride the motorcycle for Father's Day, be Mary in the Jesus play, and watch her culture and city go to hell while she's checking off on a census. I'm a Christian. Come on. Her choice, totally up to her. But I know what she's made. Come on. The question is, what are you going to do? It's so simple. It is so simple that literally this was the master's way. Now let's go back, please, in closing. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. You may write my assistant, administrative assistant, who I like to call my chief operating officer, Lauren Sienski. With any questions you have right now, Lauren Sienski is on Facebook. I'm being serious as y'all clapping, but I want y'all to listen to this. Lauren Sienski, find her on Facebook real quick. Please get out your phone, Lauren. And she'll Facebook me any questions you have right now because they could go to her to me in just seconds. I want you to look at this and I want you to be super honest with me right now. If this is not what you're supposed to do for the next 10 years, then in God's name, you tell me right now what you are supposed to do. You tell me. If I don't see you again next week, that's okay. Just on your way out, you tell us what you think you were supposed to do. Now somebody may say, Pat, well, I don't like the way you do it. Fine. There's 8.9 million left for you to go to another church and go do it. But do not tell me you're walking out these doors calling yourself a Christian, not doing this somewhere. Are you listening? Come on. Yes, we call it we call it connect, mentor, set. You get connected through the life groups, mentored in the 101 and 201, sent out to do it again through evangelism. Yes, we, we get that. It's not in the Bible. You can call it whatever you want. Reach one, reach one. To teach one, to reach one. You could call it whatever three-step plexus thing they call it, how to make, make their leaders multiply. I don't care. Reach up, reach in, reach out. You can call it living life, loving God, and whatever. I mean, I see people loving God, loving people, loving life. It, it doesn't matter. My question to you is, are you a disciple that is making disciples? Because that was pretty important for the Jesus you say you love. Amen. Does everybody get that? Now, I want you to look at your phone. Check and see if you're getting any questions. Because honestly... I want to know what in the world you are thinking. Because I may maybe have you for one more week. And listen, you'll go back to that other church and they'll do a prayer meeting with you and, and they'll let you serve and they'll let you be in the, the play and they'll let you do all that. And, they, and this will just go bye-bye. You'll just forget about this and that crazy pastor that one day. What was he talking about? But you listen to me. You will stand before him on Judgment Day and he will ask you, what in the world did you do with your life? Come on. And if you go through this little list, well, I took care of my kids and I paid my bills. He's going to say, that's good. But what did you do with my great commission? Mm. What did you do here? 
Now, I want you guys to understand, I told you it cost me a half a million dollars to do this right here. Big whoop, right? You don't really probably care about that. You think preachers probably make too much money anyways. But I'm going to tell you what this cost me an emotional bandwidth. What this takes out of me as a pastor. So my wife and I, we were part of a big church. We resign, go to start our own church, 10 people. We win somebody to the Lord, first disciple, wanting to do the book with. We're writing it as we go. You know why? I wrote my own books. You know why? You know why? It wasn't so I could be the best time, New York Times bestseller, make a million dollars. You know why I wrote it? Because the books that I was using, the people in our church didn't want to buy. And I called up the guy who wrote of the publishing company. He knew them, the, the authors, because I knew the authors by uh, an association of him. And this is what I said. Everybody watch this. I said, can I copy these materials and give them to my people and he said no not unless they pay for it that's why my book is free online pdf 99 cent on kindle because if i could do it for a penny i would but kindle got to make money just to host it there and when i asked these guys to print them out on paper i got to pay something so you pay and whatever you give goes to the church my accountant already said put it in your name to make the money i said by god's grace not one dollar ever from these books will go to my personal account it was the church that paid me to allow me to write and have the experience this belongs to jesus so whatever you give to another person's up to you but this is what we do in our house now you listen i want everybody to get this because i'm gonna put it right back on you in just a moment so I got the one disciple. Now watch. She's so awesome. She is awesome. She loves Jesus. There's 10 of us. Last time I preached was the 350. Started a church. Now it's 10. Still haven't got back to 350. Maybe outreach. But still haven't got back because I'm doing this. So are you listening to me? I traded crowds for disciples. I traded membership for discipleship. Are you listening? I'm going to get there. But don't feel sorry for me. I'm going to get there. But I had to make a trade. Now watch this. I, I said... Do you want to be a leader? Do you want to be a disciple? Oh, yeah. She loved us. She loved. I said, okay, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Just come early. Stay late. You know, kind of like the Jesus thing. Follow Jesus. Be around Jesus. We're now Jesus' disciples, so it's come on down all the way to us. So hang around us. Come early. Stay late. Help out. And then, you know, meet with my wife, and you'll go through the book. And then we'll just, you know, teach you the basic things. Here's, here's the basic things of our first book. Be saved. Born again. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Get baptized. Live holy. That's really what the first book's about. The whole entire second book is about is living for God, knowing how to be free, teaching others how to do it, and being a great leader. That's really all it's about, right? Summarize 200,000 words into that little sentence there. Just live for Jesus and help people. Now watch. That's what she says. I can't come early, though. I love to do this, but I can't come early because I work, and my child won't let me off, and I can't do it. And so I go, okay, no problem, no problem. Here's the deal. When you can do it, when you can come early, we'll be ready. Just let us know when you're ready. I can see the face change, her countenance change, and she goes, you mean you're still not gonna let me go? And I'm like, no, no, because you gotta come early. That's, we start early, we gotta be here early. You can still help Nancy at the end, but we can't do the whole thing until you're just, you're committed to it. We gotta see the commitment. She goes, in other words, I'll put it in my words, she's like, there's only 10 of us here, and you're telling me you're not gonna let me be a leader until I come early, even though I just told you my job don't let me off early. I said, if you want to say it that way, that's fine. She said, I'm leaving. And I'm like, okay, we'll see you for service. She said, no, no, no. I'm leaving the church. The first disciple that I had won by starting this church, by God's grace, walked out of the church when we asked her to be a disciple. Wow. Fast forward two years later. I now finally have four, two years later, of a church of about 25, 
that now have graduated the 101 and they're going to do the 201. I've spent all night, all these nights, my wife will tell you to three, four in the morning writing it and finishing it and writing it and finishing it. And all four of them, I come down so excited. I got the books, I just got them published. Oh no, they were paperback then. I had to do them in three different printouts in my own house. I don't even remember, I had to staple them. And I come and I say, okay, here's what we're gonna do. And uh, I say, it's very similar to the 101. You come early, you stay late, you're good. Yeah, come early, you stay late. Okay, but now here's this. You're gonna study the material. You're gonna memorize the scripture, come back, answer the questions, and then be accountable to the things on the list. And here are the things you have to be accountable for. Read your Bible every day. Pray. Tell somebody about Jesus and write something in a journal. Just, Jesus said this to me. That's it. You understand? This is all I ask these people to do. And they are in our church. I have four of them. They quit right in front of me. Now, one is the worship leader, praise God. Adam stuck with us. But he quit right in front of me. Quit right there. We ain't doing that. Then they got mad at me. Three of them stopped coming to church. Adam's the only one that kept coming to church. Then finally, after three years, people like Ishmael and Ricky came and did the 101, did the 201, and became our first graduating class. I had to wait three years after preaching to hundreds of people. I had to wait three years to graduate about four or five just just to graduate them. now after 12 years of pastoring we have 46 today we're going to graduate five we have 51 i have by God's grace, a total of 153, 74 in the 201, uh, 74 in the 101, and about 35 in the 201, who say they're going to graduate eventually, but some of them are on the 10-year track. <laughs> Others of them are doing well. But now, but now I want you to hear this in closing, because here comes the fun part. It's coming right up. But here's the fun part. Here's, here's the fun part I get to have as a pastor. Here, I'm getting to the point now. I still get letters to this day. Just got a letter. I wish I could read it, but I don't want to embarrass them if they're listening to me now. I still love you. I got a letter. Pastor, we love you. Your preaching is awesome. We love the music. We love the worship. We love the life groups. But we don't want to do the discipleship. They wrote us a letter. I talked to them for 20 minutes. I said, what about this are you not getting? They said, well, we went to a previous church and we've already done stuff. I said, listen, the days of us taking people from other churches are over. I don't even know what other people in my church believe, let alone another church. I got people in my church that will change their beliefs on the drop of a dime because they watched a YouTube video. How am I even gonna know what you've been taught? I don't even know what you've been taught. But if you love us, wouldn't you just, I mean, if you love the preaching, you love, just think of it as a Bible study. Let's say you went to any other church. You're going to go there Sunday and midweek. And that midweek pastor is going to tell you the same old stories you've heard a thousand times. At least go to a class. You get a diploma, a degree, and you can walk out with something behind your belt, uh, in your belt, you know, a pep in your step, some authority. Yes. I get these letters. I get these things. And I, and I know I feel compassion. But here's one of the things I said to them. I said, because most of the time I get this from other people who've gone to other churches. Never, never really do I hear this as a complaint from people who've been one to the Lord here. Okay? But listen to me. I said to them, the church you came from, 
How many years were you there for? Oh, we were there for five years. And I said, how was it? Ah, you know, they got so much stuff going on, all this stuff. And I said, you mean to tell me you gave five years to a church that was busted and disgusted, tore up from the floor up, and you now say all this about us. You love us. We're people of integrity. Even when our leaders sin, they have to step down, go through restoration. You love that you can trust who's in the church and who's praying for you. You're so happy there's not a mess, and people volunteer and willingly serve, and there's not a fight to get volunteers. I mean, and, and the church speaks the word, and you understand. You, you mean, you, mean you, you went for, put up with a bad church for five years. And you won't even give us a year of your time just to be taught and to be trained. And after the 101, you can start volunteering. Once you get into the 201, you can volunteer. We just say you can't leave, but you can start volunteering. Children's ministry, all that. Many of our 201 students out of that 35 are volunteering in the ministry. We're so thankful for that. So now bring it back to you. We're going to ordain them. We're going to let them testify. It is going to encourage you. And you, Maria, please take your time. Tell us your story from beginning to end. I want it. I want them to hear it. Alex as well. Tell us your story. Because here's the deal. We've got a choice to make as a church and as a culture here. Most of the people that I find have a hard time hearing this didn't grow up with good fathers in the home. And I don't say that to manipulate in any way. If you had a good father and he didn't talk like this, okay, we're just different then. But I just notice a lot that people that grow up with good fathers, they don't understand this. I want you to be strong in God. I don't want you to be thrown off by Oprah Winfrey's next guest. Like I said, I don't want you to watch another YouTube video and wonder whether or not the Bible's real. I want you to have a family that lasts 50 years from now. I want your marriage to last. I want your children to be strong and to be healthy and to love God. And if they do go to U of I, they don't lose their faith. And they don't catch an STD. Are you listening? And, and you don't have to be afraid of the gangs. I, my mind for Lucas joining a gang is about as equivalent as Lucas becoming a yodeler. I'm not even concerned about this dude joining a gang. Because dad's in the house. Dad takes care of him. It's not even going to be an option for him in life. It will be, for him to join a gang, it would be literally like him becoming a yodeler. And look at your lives. Those of you who grew up in gangs were such an option. Was your dad there? Like I'm there for my child? Were you coming to church like this every week? Did your dad buy you gifts based on your A's and your good grades and learning memory verses? I'm not saying I can make my son perfect by my choices. My son will make his own choices, but I think you understand I'm setting him up in a massively different way than this culture is, where everybody's like, I'm so surprised. I did great bands here for the cops every day. How did he turn out that way? Well, what do you think? What do you think? You did nothing for his spiritual soul. Well, I bought him shoes, so what? Your grandpa walked around in $5 pay less and was taught by his dad integrity. That's why the ball game meant something, by the way. They didn't make these. They're idols. They understood hard work is how you pay your bills. Honesty and integrity. Now we idolize these movie stars and these baseball and basketball players. God have mercy. Idolize your dads, your fathers, your mothers. And if you don't have one of those in your life, find one in the church and say, I'm going to look up to this one and to that one. you got to make that decision for yourself. I gave up this 
thing called the church enterprise for this. I gave it up. I gave up the big stage, guys, because I got my eyes set on the prize. Now, who gave up everything? Oops, who gave up everything for us? It's fine. Jesus came from heaven to earth to give us all authority. To do what? To go and make disciples. Now go back over all of those problems. Go back over all those problems. What are the answers? Jesus, right? But how does he answer the problem? Through disciples. So how do we answer the problem of, of violence? Christians living in violent neighborhoods, living for God, and raising their children right. How do we stop the problem of sexual uh, confusion, people not knowing if they're boys or girls or whatever? We teach them the ways of God. How do we fix our government? We teach them that when they're swearing on the Bible, they have the integrity of the Bible. How do we fix our broken marriages in our homes? We let God join our marriages together, and we do it His way. Did I get any questions? Did you send any to me? Okay. Because let me just say this. If you don't believe me, you go home today and study the Bible. The greatest man that ever walked the earth was the God-man, Jesus Christ. And he told us the answer to our problems was to go and make disciples. Would you put up 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1? Somebody say, let's get it on. Amen. We're going to do our ordination now. The Bible talks about there being two main offices in the church, one being elders and the other ones being deacons. The elders and the deacons work together as leaders. The words pastor, apostle, prophet, evangelist, and teacher are the things that uh, uh, elders and deacons do. As the church grows, thank you, sir, if you, if you could get that, thank you. Uh, as the church grows, we meet, need more leaders, and leaders make disciples. Does everybody get that? This is kind of the simple part of the message. You ever get that? Come on, make an amen. amen. So if Jesus' church is going to grow, we need leaders. What do we call those leaders? Elders and deacons. The Bible says, here's a trustworthy saying, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Whoever aspires to be an overseer and an elder desires a noble task. So that means all of us can desire to do that. All of us. All of us can say, Joe, what's the highest level of leadership here? Oh, it's an elder. Joe, can I be that? Yeah, set your heart on it. Be a great leader. We have wonderful leaders in this church. Let's go down now to verse 8, because that talks about the elders. The next one is the deacons. And in verse 8, it says, in the same way, there at the bottom, we'll go to the verse 9 now, in the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect. The word deacon comes from Acts chapter 6, where they needed servants. The word deacon literally means waiter, or dekanos in Greek, servant. So if you were going to a restaurant today, you would call them a deacon. Where is the deacons at? Where are the servants at? It's the same word. Where are the servants? Who are they? What do they do? Well, they're going to be people who help the elders, and they have to be worthy of respect. Because we don't want hypocrisy. That is the biggest problem when you're trying to do this thing, is that everybody starts doing their own thing if they don't live right, obviously. And then they start being cynical. It's like when I tell you, all these numbers up here, many of you get cynical of me because you think I'm lying to you in some way. Like as if I don't know a pastor making a quarter million dollars in salary right now of a 750 member church. Like I don't know this. Like I'm telling you, this is how it works. And then when I tell you I'm making disciples out of a pure heart, you somehow think there's still something like up my sleeve. There's nothing up my sleeve. From the first home Bible study to this ordination, this is exactly what we will do until Jesus comes back. There has never been a day 
where you have not seen Kinetic Mentor said with loving God, loving people, 100,000 disciples, 50 churches here, five further around the world. That's what God called us to do. So I hope I've earned your respect. You get it? Like I've earned it. Like I understand like I'm Pastor Joe because I have a title, but I want to be Pastor Joe by permission. I want to be Pastor Joe when I don't have the bow tie on. And I want these deacons to be your leader, not just because they did some little class like every other church has a class. No, but that they actually are living holy. Like they actually know the Bible. And let me put it in ways you can understand. The Jehovah Witnesses run from them when they start teaching them the Bible. Let's put it this way. They understand how to teach Roman Catholics how to be saved. They know how to help a Jehovah Witness or a Mormon be saved. They know how to open up their home and bring you inside of it and teach you everything that Jesus taught so that you can be a disciple. If it don't work, then Jesus lied because that was the command. So that's what we're saying they are. They are sincere. They are not indulging in much wine. Somebody say, some wine's okay. <laughs> but they're not in much wine because Jesus made the water into wine. They're not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith. You see those other numbers we were talking about? They just know how to burp babies and be in the nursery. They're not ready to cast out a devil. They're not ready to tell you about the end times. They're not ready to explain things. But you see, disciples need to know the deep truths of the faith and do it with a clear conscience. Now, in case you thought we were making up stuff, would you read the first part of verse 10 together? One, two, three. They must first be, one more time, they must first be tested. So how am I going to test people now? Well, what did Jesus do? Lived with them for three years. So you all want to quit your jobs and come move on the commune with me? And uh, we'll live on the side of the hill somewhere. I'll get to know you real good then. <laughs> Or we can do Bible studies. We can use the best technology they use in college classrooms online right now. We use the highest level of college classroom online technology. They go in there, they do their Bible verse. If they don't get it, they have to do it by memory until it completes perfectly. Boom. They then check off their, their list. Did I pray? Did I read my Bible? Did I do the journal? Then they have their list of questions. Then they peer review, grade each other, and they share with each other in class the things that they're learning. Is that too much to ask for somebody who wants to change the world, who literally believes that this is how we stop the tidal wave of sin? Is that too much to ask that they be tested? No. And then if there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. Mm, See the honor? Yes. Let them Hallelujah. serve. Mm. It's an honor to serve in the house of God. Yes, it is. It was an honor for my mother to come early and pick up the weeds and do things around the church. It's an honor for the men who are gifted with their hands to craft the nursery door now instead of it swinging back and forth to save space, it can actually now go into the wall, slide back and forth. Thank you, brothers who do that. Thank you, sisters who help clean. Thank you, brothers who set up the flesh. See, it's an honor to do those little things, but is that all we're here to do is to be little worker bees for Jesus? No, because the best thing that we do once we're tested is we teach others the things of God. So guess what Joe does? Joe does the website. That's what I do for serving. I, I make the website. No, no one here can do it as well as I can, so I do it. What did I used to do? I used to lead worship because no one else could do it. So I'll keep serving and meeting needs. I'm still back in the sound, but I'll do whatever I need. I'll keep handing it off to those who are gifted, but I'm going to always want to serve. But the most important thing I do it's not even here once a week. Remember, you had me for one hour today. 
you're one-on-one-er, these deacons who want to meet with you one-on-one want to spend hours with you this week. Berto wants to bring you over and Emiliano, hang out at his house, have a meal together, watch his kids play in the living room, go out and get something to eat. By the time you check your clock, you'll be like, man, I was just with my one-on-one for about three hours. It can be just an hour lunch break if you got to go, but they'll spend triple the amount of time I did holding this microphone. Come on. And they'll do it week after week after week. No sign-up fee. No first training session is free. Then you got to pay for the other three. No offense to trainers. I love my trainers in here. We, we will train you for free. Can't afford the book? Free PDF. There it is. Because it says in the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect. Not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife, must manage his children and household well. We have to show at one point that Christianity actually works, don't we? Come on. This can't be what they call a Ponzi scheme. I have no problem if you call it a pyramid scheme, but it's not really a scheme, but I understand what you mean. But it is not a Ponzi scheme. A Ponzi scheme is, hey, Joe B, give me $1,000, and I'll give you 1200 back, okay, because I know how to get you a return on your investment. Okay, but hold on. Before before I get you your 1200 hey, John, let me get 1200 for you, and then I'll give you 1400 okay? So John gives me 1200 I give it to you. Okay, hey, uh, listen, Lydia, give me 1400 and then I'm going to give John twelve. See, that's a Ponzi scheme, and this is how it looks like in the church. Well, 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 the visitor don't really live for Jesus, but you know what? The usher's living for Jesus. Now, I ain't really for living for Jesus. Uh, it's the worship leader. Now, the worship, now, I'm not really living for Jesus. I'm cheating on my wife. Oh, no, it's the pastor. Now, the pastor ain't living for Jesus because he's stealing from the church. It's like, is there anybody here living for Jesus? See, in the church of Jesus Christ, it's exactly the opposite. We have a phrase around here, the least among us. When you meet our usher, the least among us, what you would think in a setting like, well, that guy's probably not that important. You may be meeting a person worth a couple hundred thousand a year, owning their own house and business, and they're just saying, I serve out of the honor of my heart. My wife's on point. My children are on point. I'll stop right here and cast out a devil if you need help with that. I'll pray for you. I'll bring you in my car to Bible study. But come on in to church. Just come on in. The least of us. The least of us. Our SEAL Special Force team able to be a terror to the enemy. Come on. Are you listening? It says now, those who have served well gain an inherit, gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith and in Christ Jesus. So here's the deal. It's not just for them. It, I mean, it's not just for us to build and build and build a bigger church. It's also for them. You know how much I get out of serving when I get to sit down with people? And I get to hear their heart, and then God gives me a scripture to encourage them. Then I'm like, man, I never even saw it that way until they asked me that question, and now I'm encouraging them. And then there's a day that I come, and they encourage me, say, man, I was praying for you, Joe, and here's a scripture that just came to me, because I know you want a big family, and they're thinking about me now, because they actually love me, and if they're not just doing it, because they have, it's like, dude, this give and take the iron, sharpening iron, it changes your faith. It changes the way you stand in the presence of God. Hallelujah. When you go through problems, you don't go through them alone. You got your prayer workers. You got the disciples around. Man, you guys got my back. Let's go. And this is what Paul said. Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. So what's the problem with B? 
that plan B that says 80%, let them do whatever they want, Pastor, and just collect the tithe and go on. The problem is they don't know how to conduct themselves in the kingdom of God. The ends do not justify the means. That's right. I can say to you, yeah, I got my wife to marry me. After I kidnapped, tortured all of her family, she finally agreed to it. Would you be happy for my wife choosing to marry me? After I just Pablo Escobar'd her? No. I just tortured her family until she did something I wanted her to do. No. God is not forcing his house to behave a certain way. That's why you are free to go to another church and do it another way. But the question is, you tell me what way God wanted a church to look like. You got 10 years. Come on. Stay with me, guys. Stay with me. You got 10 years to do something for Jesus. What are you doing? Making it, being a disciple, making a disciple, or just going off and just doing something else? I know how God's household should be. I'm going to be a part of the church of the living God. And what are we? Come on, everybody, give me your attention. We are the pillar and the foundation of the truth. Come on. We talk a lot about politics here. You may say, Pastor, you know, we disagree on this. We, we, we agree on this. Listen, I totally get that. That's the beauty of having multiple cultures and ages and, and beliefs about social issues. But the things we don't disagree on is what that is inside of a, a mother's womb. Come on. We agree on it's a baby, right? And, and we agree that we shouldn't call marriage something that it's not, right? I mean, we agree on that. And we agree that we don't kill each other in the streets. So I would love for Christians to get together and work out issues with Christian truth. You can teach me. I can teach you. Christians will make the best governors. Christians will make the best congressmen because they won't be corrupt. And though they may not always agree, because my wife and I always uh, don't always agree, and I don't always agree with myself. You ever argue with yourself? Come on. You ever did something you disagreed with yourself? Yes. Just look at your high school yearbook and your hairstyle. You'll see you disagreed with yourself, right? Just look at some of the past relationships you've had. You've let yourself down. You've done yourself wrong sometimes. So if I disagree with myself and my wife and my kids, of course we'll disagree. But what we have together is the truth. Come on. The things I listed, God's Bible, truth. Jesus is our Savior. True. Judgment is coming. True. We stick with those things, you would, your mind would be blown how much other stuff would work out. So easy. So easy. So easy. And so that's what we're ordaining today.